Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message.
ask you a question just to start. Have you ever struggled with your faith? If, there, if no one puts their hand, okay, no one's admitting to that. I'll, I'll be fair. Okay. Have, but have you ever struggled with your faith? Maybe, you know, you've been in the church a long time and you've seen things change and people come and people go. And you've been in these awesome seasons where God has moved and then there's been other seasons where you've, you've suffered horribly. Now it seems though that you don't exactly know what your faith is. You don't exactly know what it looks like. Or maybe you're here today for the first time or the second or the third time, and you're just imagining what following Jesus looks like. And, and you know, there, there are all sorts of ways that we struggle with our faith in Jesus. And I believe that every person struggles in one way or another, and there's room for that. But sometimes I think the reason that we struggle is that we go around pretending that everyone understands faith. Like it's something we feel or something we can reason when really we would just want someone to show us what it looks like, how it works, who's involved, what's involved in faith. Uh, I, I don't know, a couple of you know me, um, I love to eat food. Sometimes you can tell um, and I love to eat Southeast Asian food. And I remember the first time I tried to use chopsticks, and I kind of like, you know, broke them apart, and I didn't know they had to get all the splinters off and stuff like that. And uh, I just pretended that I knew how to use them. And so when I sat down, I kind of looked over to the left and to the right. I was like, okay, I'll do what they're doing. And kind of struggled to do it. And then uh, I, uh, it took me a long time, and eventually I just needed someone to show me how to use Isn't that a funny way to kind of learn how to use chopsticks or to learn to do something? Just by faking it until you make it type thing? And isn't it funny that we may even try to figure out faith in the same way, just looking around and seeing what everyone else is doing without really understanding how it works and what it looks like? I believe there's only one way to really practice starts with the decision to see. Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith. And this passage, verse 9 says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Jesus was amazed. That word amazed from the Greek verb thamazo, meaning to be astonished or to be in wonder. Jesus was amazed. But why? What kind of faith amazes Jesus, honestly, right? What amazes Jesus? What kind of faith amazes him? What has him turning to the Jews and being like, finally, look at this guy. Here is someone who gets it. Look at this man. This is what faith looks like. Look at this centurion. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and we're going to make a couple observations of what made the centurion's faith so amazing. And ultimately what Jesus is showing us this morning. Inviting us to look here. Let's look at this man's faith. Inviting us to see what faith looks like. So my first observation is simple. Everybody serves. That's the first observation. Everybody serves. Uh, a couple of you might have been around when this song came out, but Bob Dylan wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Was anyone around when that came out? A couple of you are like, you weren't even 
never mind. Anyways, what he wrote in that song is, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It's really simple to kind of figure out what Dylan was saying here. It's kind of clear. Everyone is a servant. Everybody serves something or somebody, whether it's yourself or whatever. On some level, you serve. And the centurion knew this better than most people. In this passage, he had servants in his house and a hundred soldiers under his command. He had ranking officers and governors and local monarchy and even Rome to report to. This faithful centurion knew what the life of disciplined servitude was. And you know, you, we serve people today. We have we have bosses to report to, we have families to provide for, and we have our friends to keep up with. And you know, some of the young people here in the millennial section, except for Rob, have Instagram accounts to follow. Sorry, Rob. One day to sit there. But there's so many things that we serve in life, but let me scratch. Uh, that only scratches the surface. Let me let us go deeper. Let me take you deeper. When it comes to service, uh, you can't always dodge the draft. And some of you are asking what that means. In this next image, uh, you might recognize what's here. It might even put knots in your stomach. But this caricature, known as Uncle Sam, has personified the American spirit of liberty after the, Amer- the American Revolution and after the War of 1812. Little history lesson there. But more so. It is often interpreted as the symbol of the conflicts that have demanded the servitude of countless young souls who have sacrificed much in service of their country. The patriots were inspired by the dream of liberty to sign up and serve, hence the, the use of Uncle Sam in the Main Street ad campaigns throughout early American history. They wanted to be free. However, history tells us not all who would serve did so willingly. You know, the reality of American America at war time in the early 1970s was different. Serve or you will serve. Because everybody served. And so in the next image you can see young anti-Vietnam protesters marching with consent for the draft registry. And if you're too young and don't understand what the draft is, Basically, you register for a lottery to see if you would serve, and if there's anything that disqualified you. And a lot of people uh, left the country because they didn't agree with the war, they didn't want to be drafted or conscripted into that war. A lot of protesters promptly burned their slips for the registry. These students that would not submit to be told how they would serve and whom they would serve, in this case, especially not in a war that they didn't support. And I know that when we talk about war and politics, things get a little sticky, but whatever you feel or believe about war and authority and service, I want to tell you there's one threat you cannot dodge. One looming antagonist lurking at your back door that you cannot resist. We have all been born against our will into servitude, into a broken world, into sin. The Bible says that we are born slaves to sin, impurity, and wickedness. Against our will, we have been born into service of sin. And a master. And it has this master that does not want to let us go without a fight. The Word of God says that there is a war being waged for our very souls, for our allegiance, 
not in the flesh, but because in, of authorities and powers of this fallen world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. For example, consider our, our centurion's struggle here. He was a military man with power and station. He had the respect of his man, the affection of his friends and his servants, the appreciation of the Jewish elders, and the loyalty of his friends. He had achieved status. He had built wealth and the responsibility of a household, and I bet you it came at a cost. He was this self-built man. He had sacrificed great amounts of money to build the Jews a place of worship, a synagogue, which is really interesting for a centurion in the Roman military to do. He had earned the trust of good friends, and all while being this unwanted, unwelcome presence in a foreign land. Let me ask you, what state would your heart be in if you were that centurion? Think about that for a moment. You're unwelcome, you're self-built, you have authority that you've earned. I think sometimes we would just let this slip under the radar. But I also think it would be so easy for pride and bitterness to creep into that centurion's heart. For him to feel he was entitled to the things he had and the respect he was due. For him to serve himself, his desires and his emotions. For him to be a slave to those who would make him feel worthy and powerful. A slave to his man and his admirers. Can you relate to him now? Some of you have a self-built life, and now you're a slave to it. You know, the narrative even reveals the centurion's struggle in this little glimpse. He sends Jewish elders with influence to speak for him. Because the centurion thinks that is how a Gentile would, will win favor with Jesus. How a sinner might find an audience with a holy teacher. And then he sends his friends to communicate how unworthy he feels. Unworthy he is to be in Jesus' presence. Because it would, it would be, in this time it would be taboo for a, a rabbi to step into a Gentile's home. And it's interesting because it's as if to Jesus it's the centurion's worthiness or his reputation that would win his favor. Is that you today? Like really, is, is that your struggle today? You, you struggle with pride or you're a slave to your reputation. Has power corrupted? Or maybe do you come to Jesus like the centurion and say, Look, all the things I have done to earn your favor. Or maybe today you're just, I feel unworthy to be in your presence, Jesus. Unworthy to have you in my house. What has authority over you? And, and finally, is it worth it? That thing that's mastering over you. Everybody serves. So you got to serve somebody. But today I want to convince you that there's only one person worthy of your service, and that person is Jesus. So that's my second observation, is that Jesus is worthy of your service. Jesus served first. The Word says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made into human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. 
the punishment for Jesus and the criminal that he was hung with, like antagonizing, and we can go into that more. But also, Roman discipline for even was even harsh on military men who were dishonored in battle, in military service. So, if a man like our centurion were to be disgraced in battle with his men, it was common practice for the entire company to drink cup poison and end their shame and get together. And we remind ourselves this is an honor shame culture kind of scenario. But there's one catch: the centurion had the option to willfully drink the whole cup of poison and spare the rest of his men the penalty of death and the full weight of shame. You know what Jesus said? It reminds us of that. What Jesus said is like this. No man has a greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus has done. In the same way Jesus loved you so much, he consumed the whole cup for us absorbing the entire cost for our sins. Jesus sees your needs for his grace and his mercy and his power, and he is faithful to us who put our trust in So like the centurion, uh, we, we struggle a little. You ask, and he responds. You struggle with your worth, yet he approaches your house. He wants to come in and master over your house. No, not because you are worthy, because he is worthy. Jesus is the worthy master who came to seek and to save the lost. So if you are lost and searching, Jesus is at the door. So let me state my third observation in the form of a question. What or who will be the master of your house? You know, what I can relate uh, the most with the centurion uh, because of is that he struggles to have Jesus come to his house, into his house. Uh, imagine your life is like a house, and it has many bedrooms and living rooms and bathrooms, and, and it has these nooks and dark corners. It has people in it, too, and, and you live there, too. And maybe you, you're, you're the master of your domain, maybe you're not. Maybe you don't sleep in the master bedroom. And those dark corners of your house have a story to tell. Those things that fill the dark corners and rule over the common spaces of your life are truly control. Perhaps Jesus is walking up your driveway next. What do you do? He's knocking at your door. Are you ready for that? He wants us to let him move in, to clean the place out, start calling the shots. No more dark corners and crazy antics behind closed curtains. There are several things in our lives that have or are mastering over us and, and that we believe will meet those needs, the basic needs. Maybe for you it's romantic relationships, or maybe it's drugs, or sexual activity, or porn, or anger, or pride, or the wounds, or maybe it's something I'm not calling out today, but it's there and we acknowledge that, and we know that there's a story. But I want to tell you that Jesus will fulfill our greatest need and meet only Jesus. So is he knocking at your door? He wants to come in and become master of your life. But will you let him? The interesting
interesting thing about this passage is that Jesus can pull people back from the grips of death, and that's truly amazing. But don't miss the other miracle here. It's a man whose eyes have been opened to the reality of how much authority Jesus possesses. He has authority as God over all creation, worthy to practice authority over us and him and you today. And it's funny because it's almost as if this Gentile Roman knows the closer he gets to Jesus, the more likely he would have to abandon his ambition and submit to his lordship. Imagine if he had let him into his house. What would happen then? Because we don't, we don't know if Jesus ever followed up with the centurion. We don't know if he let him into his house and gave it all up to him. Surrendered. I think he felt that way about Jesus coming to his house because Jesus rules supreme. Because Jesus will not share the seat of authority in our lives. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus is saying you can't serve him in something else. You can't serve him in someone else. So who is Jesus to you really today? Is he your master or is he something else? There's this guy in the, the mid-19th century known as uh, uh, Rabbi John Duncan, and he formulated what is called the trilemma. Uh, and he said this. Let's read it together. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable. Those of you like me who don't know what the inexorable means, it means impossible to prevent. This problem of Jesus, the problem of God, is impossible to avoid. And we have this trilemma. And this trilemma became popular by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. And he said it this way. He said that Jesus was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. But you, when you examine the historical precedents and you look at the facts and the logic, you must conclude that Jesus is Lord. Yet somehow, those of us who claim to believe in him treat him as a moral teacher and act as if he requires something less than our complete allegiance. So let me ask you, who is Jesus to you today? Is he your Lord? Or are you treating him like a liar or a lunatic? Who will rule your house? Is it Jesus? Because amazing faith, this amazing faith that we find in this passage, just a little glimpse of it, is preceded by humility and submission to Christ as Lord comes at uh, so this, this is great author, and I believe he's a shepherd of the church who wrote all these amazing books. His name, uh, Paul David Tripp, and I would suggest him to any of you who are interested. Uh, he put it this way, and I think it's really great. Let's read it together. Only when God is in his rightful place as the unchallenged master of our hearts will everything else in our lives be in the appropriate place. That's a convicting statement. Is your house in order? 
It's not, it's all not just becoming a servant and surrendering your authority that generates faith in your relationship with Jesus, but when he goes unchallenged in every area of your life. The truth of my final observation is that amazing faith is massive. It's massive. You know, putting your faith in Jesus and entering a relationship with him. Putting your faith is entering a relationship with him. As a servant and making him your master and practicing it every day. Amazing faith is massive. It's funny, Jesus in this passage points out that special relationship between a servant and a master. The relationship is all over this passage, the servant served the centurion, the centurion had uh, soldiers who served him, he served those above him, and then ultimately he would make Jesus his master. The centurion servant was highly valued. The Greek word used for the servant here is dolos, or literally bond slave. Bond slave. Would you be a bond slave for Jesus? And you know, this in this in this context, dolos is often used with the highest dignity in the New Testament. And it, and it refers otherwise to believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. I don't know if you're new here at point or, or not, or you're aware or not, but our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Relationship is part of that. Relationship between a servant servant literally relied on his master for his very life, for his healing. And, and the centurion was willing to lay down his pride to come to Jesus as a servant to serve his servant's life. The centurion came to this point where he needed to rely on Jesus as Lord for his servant's healing. Literally, he called Jesus tired from the Greek word kyrios, which means a master exercising full rights is Jesus exercising full rights over you? The centurion recognizes Jesus' authority. The life of the soldier, I think, makes it easier to see that because everyone, from their perspective, kind of serves, or whether they're military or not, they have a master. But a disciplined soldier knows who he serves. Now you make Jesus his master absolute rights to his very life. You might be thinking today, though, why do we even need a master? And, and, and the first thing that often comes to my mind is that when you learn to ride a bike, you put your faith and trust in your parents, or if you're like me, your older brother. You submit yourself to the parents, their years of experience, and because of your relationship and the trust that's been built there, you put your faith in them as they hold you upright help you find your balance and learn to move forward. So, in the same way, how can we practice faith in someone we put so little trust? How can we be more like Jesus if we cannot submit to our relationship with him? As a servant and a master. And how can we realize the life we were intended to have if we cannot commit ourselves, submit ourselves to the one who did James Smith, author 
verbalize that entry suggestion, and maybe that will be useful. Number one, maybe today you want to submit yourself to his lordship. Second, maybe you want to render every area of your life to his authority. Surrender the, the dark places and your love. Kill your darling before they kill you. Finally, maybe you just want to respond to his call. He has authority and now he's asking you to do something. Maybe you want to finally go where he's asking you to go. Do what he's asking you to do. Maybe he's been asking you to do something for a while and you haven't been listening. Or maybe he's asking you to do something today and you're going to decide to do it. What has he been asking you? Can we pray together as we close? Lord, we just respond to your invitation today. We ask that you would come into our lives today and renovate and rule over every aspect. We long for more of you So now we put aside all the roadblocks our sinful hearts have made and submit ourselves to your loving rule and everything because you are so worthy. We make you an absolutely loving Lord. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.